football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. And welcome to our Week 2 Preview Podcast. I'm Pat Coleman of D3Football.com, and this is where my podcast partner, Keith McMillan, and I get together to take a quick look at the games coming up this weekend. Uh, but before we get there, is there anything we want to address from our last podcast? Now that we're doing two of them in a week, we could, uh, you know, we could address unanswered questions or do corrections or all sorts of stuff. Well, we got that Griffin Neal thing. We fixed that at the very end of, of last week's podcast, and uh, I realized that you were actually talking to real people in the in the written um, intro that people don't want to admit. Yeah. I thought we were we were addressing some straw people, but. Uh, Turns out those folks are on the message board. They tweet at you, and so uh, yeah, nothing, nothing from um, the uh, the podcast. I think that we need to fix. Although we always find things, uh, or someone else, listeners always find things uh, that maybe we need to look back at really quickly. I'm not a big fan of doing straw man arguments. I, I find it to be kind of a disingenuous way of going about things. There are plenty of things that people say to us. Um, and I don't have a whole lot of time to come up with things that people don't say to us. I guess. Instead of that, we have a whole slate's worth of week two games. We got 107 games on the schedule this weekend, and uh, we get some teams that are uh, finally taking the field. Yeah, we'll finally get a look at Mary Harden Baylor, and it'll be a much different crew than we saw last December in the Stag Bowl. In their visit to Albright, longtime Pete head coach Pete Fredenberg is suspended. Former Mount Union quarterback Luke Poorman should be making his debut, and All American linebacker Tevin Jones is no longer on the team, and we found that out in late August. Also, in the top 10, uh, Linfield, North Central, and Harden-Simmons make their debuts this weekend. The uh, If you've missed the Mary Harden-Baylor story, basically uh, what happened was there was a, uh, a minor violation of sorts. The official word hasn't come out yet, but it seems like it is along the lines of um, a GA lending a vehicle or lending, a I don't know, like a, a couch in their apartment or something like that to a member of the team, uh, something like where the this, the relationship between these two guys was uh, teammates six months earlier, and now that one of them was a coach that was no longer uh, particularly kosher. doesn't sound like it's a particularly big deal, but uh, none of the NCAA word has come out on this yet. The uh, institution took the preemptive strike of uh, suspending Fredenberg for three months of the offseason and then for the first three games of this season. So those changes that Keith mentioned are above and beyond the usual end-of-season turnover. So there will definitely be lots of questions for Mary Harden-Baylor. Um, of course, on the opposite side, Albright has lots of questions that they have to answer after they got uh, pretty much demolished by Salisbury last weekend. Yeah, and when that happens, you know, the big thing as a coaching staff, you want to not lose your team uh, after a loss. And, and, you know, half of the teams that played last weekend lost their openers and, and are doing the same thing, trying to regroup, tell the team, you know, you, you start every season with these big dreams. Um, doesn't Even if you play a team that's maybe better than you, and, you know, Albright and Salisbury have probably been fairly uh, even over the years. Um, the, the big thing for Albright is to not lose the team. And remember last season when they, found themselves in the news over national anthem stuff and, and removing a player from the team. That was a big thing. They wanted to keep the team together. They didn't want any distractions. Well, now they've got a, they, they have um, big week one loss, 48-14. Um, you got Stag Bowl team coming to you for week two. And then after that, you'd think, okay, well, 
maybe they were just being smart about how they were scheduling and uh, taking some non-conference games that'll get them ready for the MAC. They jump right into the MAC slate with Stevenson and Widener, so it's going to be a big opening month for Albright, and they need to at least have a, a better performance in week two, or you, you risk losing the team. You mentioned Linfield, and uh, we have a feature on the website talking about uh, the Linfield uh, season opener. They play Carroll University out of Helena, Montana. If you paid attention to small college football about a decade ago, uh, Carroll was once upon a time an NAIA power. They won multiple NAIA national championships, including a run of four of them in a row. Uh, one of uh, another title as recently as 2010, but they've been on the uh, on the down and out a little bit. They had a losing season last year. But the reason I find this game particularly interesting is not just because it's one of our champs versus one of their champs, but also because. You know, uh, Carroll is going to be playing its third game. They've had two games under their belts already, and Linfield, this will be their debut. And if you read the feature by Joe Sager, Linfield doesn't seem particularly concerned about that. Uh, they sort of basically said, we can just focus on us, and it actually may give us an advantage because we'll have two games of, of tape, video on them, and they won't have any on us. So uh, we're eager to see what Linfield, sixth-ranked team in the poll, does, uh, just as we're eager to see North Central, Harden-Simmons, and Mary Harden-Baylor get underway this week. Yeah, North Central hosts Lake Forest. I think uh, Adam Turrer will be at that game for us. Uh, Harden-Simmons is at Trinity, Texas. Of course, North Central doesn't host Lake Forest. If I could read the schedule that's right in front of me, uh, I would have sent everybody to the correct place, which is uh, Lake Forest, Illinois. I like Harden-Simmons playing... A, uh, an actual Division Three team in its uh, in its one non-conference game this season. I really felt like, and we talked about this on a, a couple of podcasts back, but I really felt like you don't ever really know what Harden-Simmons was last year because they only played the ASC schedule and then they played uh, Linfield again. Yeah, and, and this game against Trinity coming off, Trinity's coming off a huge opening week win, 44-0 against McMurray, so it's looking like maybe a, a tougher opener than, uh, than maybe it was when Harden-Simmons agreed to it. Those are some of the prominent teams that are making their 2018 debut this weekend. Of course, 88% of Division Three did play last weekend, and we'll talk to the coach of one of those teams as Milken carried the burden of actual legitimate expectations for the 2018 season being picked in the top half of the CCIW, which for them is you know a significant improvement over previous seasons. So we'll talk with Big Blue coach Dan Gritty in just a moment, and we will look closely at a half dozen games in week two. Then Keith and I will put each other on the spot, and the random number generator will put us both on the spot. But before we get to that, I'd also like to take this time to mention that the Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who influence decisions to replace uh, turf, to add scoreboards. They had a great scoreboard that just went in at Concordia Moorhead this past week. Looks really spectacular. Um, you know, you see great turf now. You see blue turf now. You see interesting things all over the place. You think the coaches who listen to this podcast don't have an influence on where that money gets spent? You're crazy. Reach those people by sponsoring our podcast. Doesn't take a lot. Think about it. Drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com because you're really missing out on an easy opportunity to reach Division Three people. Here with Dan Gritty on the sidelines after uh, Milliken's 25-21 win against Hope on the uh, opening weekend of the Division Three season. Coach, uh, first of all, I really thought that for most of the for most of the second half, I thought that I was going to be talking with uh, 
you know, Coach Sturzma on, on the opposite sideline, but you guys kind of pulled it out there at the end. Yeah, for whatever reason, we have a little knack to be pulling out these games in the end. This is four or five that we've had in the last two years. We just got to get better. We made too many mistakes mentally, physically, every which way tonight. Um, I give credit to Hope. They're going to be a force in that league. Um, if I was trying, I would not want to be playing them for the conference title. But um, we got to get better. Obviously, we got the CCIW ahead of ourselves, and it's going to be a lot of mental and physical improvement we're going to need to be ready to play North Park in two weeks. Are those week one mistakes, or are they, you know, something more fundamental or schematic or whatever? No, I think it was week one mistakes. I think with our bye week two, we made a decision to be pretty um, condensed in our, in our, our uh, install and camp. Um, if I had to do it over again, I probably would have put a couple more things in, but we wanted to allow freshmen the chance to play fast and see what they had. And, and to do that, we have to, uh, to reduce uh, or make simpler what we're doing. And, and that came back to bite us at a couple of points today, but I was glad our kids fought hard, kept playing. We made too many mistakes, though, and, and that'll be something to build on. You know, they say the best improvements from week one to week two, and we're going to need that. Did you see the kind of, uh, you know, participation or success you were hoping from for those freshmen? Yeah, we, uh, some of the guys that got in, Chris Vogt got in and played a bunch at nose for us. We had Nick Lotz uh, playing receiver for us, Jonathan Keeler playing receiver. Um, so we got some of those guys in. We got a couple offensive linemen in as well. So it was good for them to get in the game. Uh, we just got to be better. We, we've got to play better in our process before we're going to be ready to play the the top teams in our league and now of course this year you have just the one non-conference game so this is your only tune-up as it were you do have as you said a bye next week and then you go uh, and then you play north park so you maybe ease into the conference schedule a little bit but uh, you don't have a lot of uh, games that quote unquote count don't count or count less before you get into that conference slate yeah, we, we certainly are uh, hit the ground running now in the CCIW and, and playing a Mike Conway coach team, no one ever eases into it. The guy won national titles. He knows what he's doing. Um, so North Park will be a tough opponent for us. We need to be ready for it. I just want us to reduce our mental mistakes by about 200% and we'll be okay. Like special teams, for example, I would say. Yes, absolutely. We gave some freshmen a lot of freshman opportunities. It was a little warm tonight. I don't know why we had such problems with cramping, but we had significant problems with cramping. So we gave freshmen more spots on the special teams, and, and they mentally struggled with what was going on. Yeah, I gave up a, a couple of big kick returns, uh, especially a big punt return, which uh, in the end, of course, you guys ended up uh, holding on, but basically erased your entire punt. I'm eager to see what that punt return, that looked like a fair catch from our sideline, um, and our players all thought it was, so I'm eager to see what it looked like on film. Uh, my, my guess is that it was a fair catch that we pulled up on, so I don't mind that one as much as I mind some of the kickoff returns, the kick placement by our freshman kicker, um, and then uh, you know catching the ball on the sideline and stepping out of bounds. Um, you know, I'm the special right. teams coach, so the buck stops with me, and I got to get on my game to get them ready. So uh, if, if, if the general Division Three fan knows one name on Milk, and they probably know Nico Stapina, right? He's the guy who uh, really helped you to that uh, kind of breakout season last year. Uh, this going into his uh, senior year, tonight 19 to 38 for 261 yards, uh, two touchdowns, uh, you know, 37 yards rushing, and, and really kind of kept a lot of plays alive with his feet. Is that the, the kind of Stapina that uh, you would expect to see the rest of the season? Yeah, I think he'll be more explosive the rest of the season. He was one of the guys that were cramping bad, so he had to limit his mobility and his ability to run. Um, we just got to do a better job catching some of the balls. He threw some great balls. We had an easy play to put the game away. Wide receiver dropped the ball right in his breadbasket, so we need to execute a little bit better. More at game speed, more uh, situations in practice that we'll get ready over this bye week, so we're ready to go against North Park. Right, it did seem like you guys had lots of opportunities with multiple guys open. Yeah, absolutely. Our receivers do a great job getting open. Now we just got to execute, 
you spend so much time thinking about being very precise in your routes, you sometimes forget to focus on the ball being in your hands. And so that's something we're going to have to work on this week. All right, a little less small picture, a little big picture for a couple of minutes. Going into your third season now, you guys had the breakout season last year in that, you know, nobody's going to be sleeping on Milliken from here on in. you got a senior quarterback. What's the ceiling look like? I don't know where the ceiling is. Um, you know, we play in one of the best conferences in the country, and, and you know, we've got four teams in our conference that are, are, are always uh, top-notch, and the rest of the teams, it's just a dogfight every week, and, and Coach Kinbaum's going to have Washu ready to go as well. So we just got to keep focusing 1-0. and Do I think we can win the conference? Yes. Do I think we'll win the conference playing like we played today? Heck no. What, how does the schedule line up for you then? Who do you have at home, that sort of thing? Uh, so we don't get the most favorable schedule. We've got three of the what we term the big four on the road, and we get our, our rivals in, from Bloomington at home. Um, so that's obviously a big game, but we got to beat Carthage. we got to be able to compete and beat Wheaton, and we got to beat North Central. And, and we've shown it that we could beat Wheaton once, but we haven't shown we can play with the other three, and that's really been one of our focuses in camp is that, look, for us to get to the next level, these are very good teams who are extremely well coached. We need to be on top of our game to be able to play with them, and, and that's what we're hoping to do this year. I know people obviously generally think very highly of the CCIW. You've coached uh, extensively in another conference before coming to the CCIW very recently. Was it what you expected uh, over the course of your first couple seasons? It's actually better. You know, in the SAA, we had weeks where we could just go to work and, and know that if we did our stuff right, we would be fine. Everyone, all the coaches, even the ones that are coaching teams that haven't been winning lately, have great great schemes and you have to be ready to play and on top of your game or you can lose at any point in time and and so the CCIW I know I haven't ever coached in the Wisconsin League I haven't coached in the Ohio League I think the Wisconsin League speaks for itself but I'd be shocked if, if the top to bottom the Minnesota League or the Ohio League is as good as we are. The program a lot of success early in the millennium at the beginning of the automatic bid era then kind of tailed off a little bit but with your success last year is uh, there some excitement is there buzz in the community around the program yes yeah, so we've been excited i go to the grocery store people ask me how we're going to do and and i think people are now uh, ready for us to be good again and they're going to come out and support us and, and now we got to live up to our bargain just because we were good last year doesn't mean we can put the pads on and be good this year we got to improve in a lot of areas but i'm uh, tremendous support from the community tremendous support from our president patrick white um, you know, he knows what winning football at the D3 level from his time at Wabash, and he's given us the resources we need to be to, to be successful, and he's a big part of why we are successful. All right, bottom line, you have just the one non-conference game to use. Was this a good choice? Did this show you what you need to, uh, need to learn to do the rest of the season? We won it, so it was a good choice. Uh, it was made before I got here. I imagine Coach Sturzman and I both had the same situation where the program we were going to play was down, and then we took over and brought them back. So it wasn't necessarily what they negotiated for us. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, look, I'm educated in the SEC. I, I would play cupcakes day one all, all the time to get everything working. So uh, it was a good challenge for us. We're going to it again next year at our place, so we're going to have to be ready for that one as well. Coach Gritty there talks pretty highly about uh, Coach Conway and North Park. I, I went to see North Park, of course, the following night. I, I think that, uh, you know, obviously they could be well coached, but they have some. Uh, what do you think about coach speak in general, Keith? I mean, obviously coaches have a lot of respect for each other, especially in the conference where you have to work with each other on a regular basis. I just sometimes get tired of coach speak in general. Well, especially if you've heard it for the better part of 20 years. But the, the thing about a lot of the cliches, at least, is they generally serve a purpose for for a team 
and a, a team in a lot of ways they're think it's it's almost better when their thinking is isolated and very focused on you know a few a few things they can latch onto whether it's slogans that are around the locker room or whatever the case may be um, because you you're you're almost every team is on this sort of us against the world and and you know brotherhood and we're sticking together and so that and that's part of what makes good teams great is the ability to do that um I actually think, though, it, it also sir. I think you're all better off kind of being having some friends and allies around the conference. So I, I think it's good to to um, you know, have worked with other people, other places, and and to um, be friendly to your fellow coaches, at least for the most part. But it's always fun when uh, when when two coaches are, are rivals as well. All right, shall we move on with the countdown? Let's do it. Shall we call this a countdown? We're still kind of figuring out how this works. Yeah, I don't know. Are we counting down from zero to one? I thought our games were in sort of no particular order. <laughs> yeah, they are in no particular order. So let's just uh, go into our, our six games to watch. Keith and I will go uh, a little bit more in depth on a half dozen games. And then uh, we'll have a, a half dozen games with uh, basically just one liners, ones that we want people to know that, yes, we know these things exist. Uh, we also want uh, the listeners to know maybe one or two interesting things about those games. And then like I said uh, earlier, the random number generator is going to put us both on the spot, and then Keith and I will uh, put each other on the spot. And also, we'll uh, we'll finally wrap up uh, last week's quick hits and uh, see which ones were particularly prescient and which ones were particularly pathetic. Let's start with the Brockport-Ithaca game. Uh, it was a big first week for Brockport. Obviously, they uh, really handled Hobart in week one. Ithaca beat St. Vincent 38-14, but I'm not sure that they were actually all, all that impressive. Uh, they were facing a freshman quarterback making his debut, for example. Um, Waheed Nabi had a decent start as he enters his sophomore season at quarterback for the Bombers, but facing Brockport is going to be a whole different story. Yeah, and I think as much as we talk about Brockport, we talk about it in the context of the offense being really impressive, uh, obviously the, the quarterback, first-team All-American, Joe Germanario, but the defense has really been outstanding, and it was during major parts of their run last season, not so much in the playoffs, but they put up four or five shutouts during the season, a couple games where uh, a team scored just one touchdown. And that was the case in week one against Hobart, just one touchdown, uh, 124 yards of total offense for Hobart, eight first downs, one of 10 on third down. So as much as we talk about Brockport scoring 56, that's that seven in week one is, uh, is possibly just as impressive. And that's the challenge that, that uh, Waheed Nabi and the Bombers who lost this game 31-0 last year. One of the reasons Nabi even became the starter, uh, which didn't happen until week three, I believe. I think that that matchup, the, the Ithaca offense against Brockport defense, is, is just as much one to watch. Concordia Moorhead at uh, number 12 UW Whitewater. We mentioned this in the last podcast, but Whitewater looked good in its opener, hit on a big play for its first touchdown, ground out some medium-length drives thanks to the defense setting it up well. Uh, Moorhead had a typical Cobber-style game in week one, gave a bunch of guys opportunity to run the ball, completed no pass longer than nine yards. Yeah, you know, the typical Concordia-Moorhead stuff. They defeated Nebraska-Wesleyan 28-3. I kind of expect this season's meeting will be different than last year's. And if you go back to last year's meeting, it was the one where Cobbers started off hot, nice long drive early in the game, 10-0 lead. Whitewater comes back to tie it. Then Cobbers bust off 71-yard run keep the lead for the rest of the game. Whitewater gets down inside the 10-yard line, and uh, Alex Berg, I believe, is the defensive back who makes the stop on fourth and one. 
the theme last season for Whitewater in losing its uh, opening two games, the first against Illinois Wesleyan, the second against Concordia Moorhead, both times within one touchdown late in the game, got inside the two-yard line uh, on fourth down, got stopped both times. So as we've mentioned several times on the podcast, could have been a very different season for Whitewater last season, and, and perhaps the reports of their demise are greatly exaggerated, uh, if we have to go to a cliché. They looked very good in week one, and it was very whitewaterish the way they looked. And by that, I mean in the 38-6 win against Dubuque, it wasn't like they, um, you know, come out throwing the, throwing the ball all over the place, scoring right from the beginning. It was a very sort of slow, methodical build over the course of the game. And, and Dubuque looks like they're in the game. Uh, and then and you look up in, you know, in the fourth quarter and it's 38-6. So I think this, uh, you know, Moorhead obviously knows what to expect from last season, but maybe a, a, another one of those games where it, it comes down to a play big, a big play uh, late in the fourth. UW lacrosse at uh, number 21, Illinois Wesleyan. I'm interested in this one, especially because of the difference in preseason expectations. I think after talking with IWU coach Norm Esch this past spring, I didn't expect the Titans to be a top 25 team just based on the number of graduating seniors. Uh, Our voters obviously disagreed. Uh, Similarly, I think there's mixed reviews on what to expect from UW lacrosse this season, and and smacking Luther around, around last week just doesn't answer that for me. Yeah, the funny thing about the the number of uh, players back for each team is, is uh, Illinois Wesleyan had, I believe, 16 starters back. Lacrosse just nine, but lacrosse looked very good in week one. You mentioned it was against Luther. You look at the box score of that game, Luther had 483 yards, but lacrosse scored the first 42 points in that game. So uh, very impressive week one. The level of competition is going to take a big jump in week two to Illinois Wesleyan. And for both of these teams, uh, both the, the the Titans and Eagles, this is the sort of game where later in the season, if you if you maybe, you know, you play your CCIW or your YX late and you get through that with maybe one loss, this is the kind of game that gets you into the postseason discussion because you have a win against another team that's expected to be pretty good. Yeah, lacrosse last year kind of shuffled quarterbacks. Tarek Yegi, the, uh, the big name there, got hurt. Uh, backup guy finished the season. They kind of went back and forth on Saturday. Two different guys got opportunities. They went a combined 13 for 21. They were pretty efficient. Again, you know, level of competition steps up quite a bit this uh, this upcoming week. But I think that was one of the big questions for lacrosse was where they were going to replace that and where they were going to replace the production of Nick Holcomb. That's a guy who was, a, of course, a, a Gilardi Trophy finalist, had probably the best receiving year of anybody in UW lacrosse history. Another game we want to look at is uh, the Transit Trophy game. Step back, doors closing. And that's between WPI and number 24 ranked RPI. And if you don't know what it, what the transit trophy is, well, you're not alone. Uh, a transit, I had to look this up. A transit is a tool that engineers use to measure angles and it makes it an appropriate trophy for two premier engineering schools. Uh, these schools haven't been so bad in football the past few years either. RPI leads this series 25-12-1 since the trophy was introduced, but uh, WPI has been a solid number two team in the NUMAC in the last season, That well, the season that the NUMAC has existed, in, and I don't expect that to change. For both teams here, the, the big story is huge week one, WPI 54-0 winner against Anna Maria. Uh, RPI went to Allegheny, 140-19. So the level of competition is going to take a little jump in week two. And, and yeah, Pat, as you mentioned, the transit trophy, not the same as the Subway Series. 
No, not exactly. I, I'm just glad that this game is continuing since the teams aren't in the same conference anymore. I know sometimes those trophy games kind of go away, so I'm, I'm pretty happy that this one still exists. Uh, Johns Hopkins at Susquehanna is a game we're looking at. Susquehanna, a program that continues to be on the rise. I know Lyco has been down in, in recent years, but I, I still admire the way that uh, the Riverhawks handled them in week one. Susquehanna will have to do better than 13 for 35 through the air, though. Uh, the defense picked off like coming quarterbacks four times, and they will not be able to do that against Johns Hopkins quarterback David tomorrow this week. Uh, and, and tomorrow had the huge second half against Randolph-Macon in week one. Go back to last season, the history on this team, uh, on this game, Hopkins, the much more well-known program nationally, Susquehanna has been since early 2000, since we spent a lot of time uh, talking about uh, that program on the uh, on the podcast. But this was a 38-34 game last season, so plenty of reason to believe it'll be competitive on Saturday. Johns Hopkins comes into the game ranked number 18. Last game in our six-pack of games we want to look at is between Central and DePauw. DePauw is another one of the teams that didn't play in Week 1, so it'll be interesting to see where these guys stand. Central's coming off a pasting of Northwestern in Week 1, which doesn't tell us much other than it was an opportunity to get on the field. Yeah, and, and really for DePauw now coming off of three 8-2 and two seasons in a row, um, that's a program just looking to make that, that leap into uh, being top 25, being a team that qualifies for the playoffs. And, and you know the deal in the North Coast is you got to beat Wabash and Wittenberg, probably not necessarily in that order, um, to make the jump. And, and for, for DePaul, it obviously starts with a non-conference game in week one. But, but uh, you know, seven and three in 2014 and then three, eight and two seasons, like right on the cusp. And, uh, and, and that's one we'll, we'll, as top 25 voters, we'll, we'll keep an eye on. Time for me to put you on the spot? Sure. All right. Who wins more games this weekend, the ECFC or the UMAC? Two of my favorite, mm. two of my favorite conferences, by the way. All right. Well, again, as we as we do this, we have to take a look at the schedule. I mean, off off the top, I mean, the first thing you want to see is uh, are they who's got more games? Yeah. Are they all playing each other? Yeah, they're not playing each other. Thankful. That would be a great. I'd love to see an ECFC UMAC challenge, but you know. Right. No, I meant. Oh, I meant like are all the ECFC teams playing other ECFC teams? No, they're all. Um, both of these. Both of these conferences are still in non-conference play. Uh, it's not quite and, an even number, but uh, I, 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 I'll let you do the homework. Sorry. Okay. No, that's fine. Um, I kind of think. I'm just looking at the ECFC slate here. They got. They have some winnable games. Uh, Gallaudet Green, Greensboro. Husson, uh, University of New England, which is a brand new team. Uh, Dean is playing Western Connecticut. Castlin, Fitchburg State. Uh, Hartwick uh, is playing Alfred State. So I feel like that's maybe two. And then uh, Nichols, Anna Maria, and Mass Maritime, SUNY Maritime on um, on Friday night. So I'm looking at maybe three for the ECSC. This is great, wonderful podcasting, right? Live live question answering i was going to go off top i was going to go ecfc but now i'm looking at, all right martin luther rockford st Glasgow, mayville state westminster Millsaps. there's a matchup you don't see right uh crown presentation greenville kalamazoo another another weird matchup northwestern at claremont mud scripts yeah we talked with northwestern coach uh, back in february about that that uh, that's an interesting trip Crown presentation. All right, I'm going to go UMAC. I was going to go ECFC, but their their matchups there's a there's definitely a winnable two or three in there. But I think uh, 
I think the UMAC has the better slate of matchups. Yeah, I think the one of the most interesting ones in that group is St. Scholastica at Mayville State. I think that's at Mayville State um, because, you know, we know what Scholastica has done. Uh, Mayville gives out scholarships, but they were 0-11 last year. So um, that I, I, I thought that was an interesting game on the schedule as well. All right, hit me. All right. I just asked the question correctly. Linfield, North Central, Harden Simmons, who impresses you most in week one? Uh, in their opener, um, I'm going to probably guess that North Central is going to impress me most, although... Uh, I just because I, I think that uh, they're most likely to have a, a big margin of victory. Um, you know, uh, shoot, I think they're all likely to, it's all possible to have a big margin of victory. I know that if Harden Simmons really takes it to Trinity and blows them out, that would be very impressive as well because, um, you know, that's a, an established Division three team that won a game in, you know, impressive fashion last week and would be playing week uh, game two to Harden Simmons game one. So Harden Simmons has the biggest potential perhaps to impress me. I'm going to say Linfield though. I just want to, for me, it's just the D3 pride thing. Even if uh, Carol's uh, a shadow of its former self, I still want to have that feather in D3's cap. Linfield, the former D3 champ beating Carol, the former NAIA champ. So I'm going to go with Linfield. Interesting answer. My thought was the Harden Simmons thing. They have the toughest matchup, and if they are uh, impressive in that matchup, that they may bump up a few spots in the top 25 and and be a team that uh, that we all keep an eye on. And if uh, if Mary Harden Baylor struggles with its new quarterback, without its head coach, or any of that, you start eyeing a couple weeks down the schedule that that Harden Simmons Mary Harden Baylor game. I guess we should keep score of on the spot, or at least we should acknowledge what we picked last week. Keith, I made you pick something that was going to be a, a season-long thing, and uh, I know that uh, neither uh, Oberlin nor Kenyon uh, won last week, but one of them will this week because they're going to play each other. Uh, how did I do on my uh, on your on the spot for me? Well, you hit your push, which is impressive because yes. uh, when we asked the question, we weren't even sure if you were you had to pick or, or you were allowed to say push. We decided on the spot. Push is, is certainly. Fine. The question was, um, who's got more touchdown passes from Joe Germanario or quarters played by the Mount Union starters? Germanario threw three for Brockport against Hobart. And I am not currently looking at the Mount Union box score, but I'm assuming their starters played about three quarters of a 54-0 win for Rose Holman. Well, yeah, there we go. Uh, Fulford scored a touchdown in the third quarter, so that co- that counts. Ready for the random number? Let's do it. Our random number is 79 from 1 to 107. Game number 79 is a good one, or an interesting one at least. Howard Payne at George Fox. It'll be interesting here, I think, because uh, for Howard Payne, this is a, you know, a program that's kind of bouncing back, right? Or, or hopefully bouncing back. They definitely uh, have done their hitting rock bottom thing, going 1-9, 0-10, 1-9 the last three years. They certainly have an opportunity to make some noise against George Fox, but uh, George Fox played Redlands pretty close last weekend, so I don't think they're going to really actually make that noise. Yeah, this is a great random game for me because I watched a bunch of the Redlands-George Fox game, so I can actually speak knowledgeably about it. I was really worried that the random number generator would put us on, like uh, Louisiana College at Alcorn State or some school yeah. One school where one of the schools in the matchup was, was non-D3, and we really wouldn't know anything about them. Um, George Fox last week, I thought a little bit um, unimpressive. 
uh, you know, Redlands is certainly a good program. And uh, and George Fox was on the road traveling from Oregon down to, to Southern California for that game. But uh, Redlands led that game 20 to 6 for most of the second half. And uh, it really wasn't until George Fox hit a hit a 63-yard touchdown pass in the fourth quarter where that was a one-score game. And then uh, George Fox didn't quite make a um, – you know, never really made a, a push uh, to, to try to tie that – I mean, obviously they're trying to tie the game up. But, uh, but it, it, it wasn't – it wasn't a dramatic finish, let's say. And uh, George Fox was a program that, as it as it grew, um, you know, it, it debuted uh, with a head coach and, and a structure that came from Linfield. And we started to see the signs probably cresting last season when they, they played Platteville within two points. They pushed Linfield to the brink um, in, a, in a very close game. And so we started to see, okay, George Fox maybe is, is going to be a program that's going to break through, one we have to keep an eye on. I thought the, the, the loss to Redlands in week one was, uh, was a little disappointing. And as we talked about earlier in the podcast, half the teams in action or somewhere close to half uh, of the D3 teams in action lost last week. And they're going back to the drawing board saying, we got to clean some things up. But the most important thing, not just the, the cleaning up the X's and O's, but it's just sticking together, not giving up on your dreams for the season. And so for George Fox, uh, coming back home, getting a visit from Howard Payne starts this week. We're down to our six-pack of one-liners. These are games that we want you to know exist and want you to know one thing about them. So one of them is uh, McAllister playing Hamlin this weekend. That game is for the bucket. Uh, McAllister beat Carlton, one of its former MIAC football mates, last weekend, and they uh, play the other one. This week, as they traditionally have started the season that way for the past several years. Coe and Cornell meet for the 128th time. It hasn't been much of a game in previous seasons, but Coe looked a little shaky in the week one against Augustana. Uh, like coming against Widener is a game that we can't not uh, mention, although it looks like it won't uh, be worthy of mention in the uh, final wrap-up once uh, games are all done. Thomas Moore is uh, playing Hanover, and Thomas Moore coming off of maybe already having its season dash in week one. Uh, Monmouth at Warburgs is uh, Monmouth faces a uh, top 20 team for the second consecutive week. And then Averett and your uh, alma mater, Randolph Macon, after Averett uh, really trashed your alma mater's rival, uh, Hampton Sydney, in week one. And, and thank you for that. I, I'll be honest, Averett is not one of the, the games on the schedule that, that Randolph Macon um, tends to circle. It's, it's been a, a pretty, I don't want to say easy win, but it's been a, it's, it's been a good game to have on the schedule. For several seasons now, but that was an eye-opening win on Sunday against Hampton Sydney, 33-14. Uh, make it's coming off a bad loss to to uh, Johns Hopkins, so they want to bounce back. And just about everybody in this list, Pat, keeping with the theme of the podcast, is someone that that has to bounce back from a tough loss in Week One. Monmouth, what an opening schedule! They started with Wheaton, now Wartburg, and Monmouth is maybe a, a program we expect to to contend in the Midwest Conference. Two really challenging non-conference games up front. Thomas Moore, you talked about it, where where the surprising loss to North Carolina Wesleyan in week one. They're playing this barnstorming schedule now that they're no longer a member of the pack. Getting it together against Hanover is is paramount. Um, and, and then I think, you know, you mentioned the bucket. You mentioned the 128th meeting for Cohen Cornell. And then our favorites. Uh, this is one of our... Yeah. Favorite rivalries that we have nothing to do with because we saw yeah. some great games back in the day, including a 50-49 game. It was one of those ones like Catholic and Randolph-Macon when our alma maters would meet, whether the teams were good or bad, they would almost always play a good one. And Widener, uh, with that really devastating 
double overtime loss, blew a t- two touchdown lead a couple times in week one against Rowan. They want to bounce back against Lycoming. Yeah, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but uh, Lyco Widener basically is the rivalry that kind of kickstarted us actually doing D3Football.com. We had uh, hemmed and hawed about it because there was another football site already out there, um, but on a, on a Catholic U football, basically a bye week, I went up to see the Lycoming Widener game, and it was a 13-9 game in which uh, Widener had the lead, and then Lyco came back and scored two touchdowns. Uh, in the final 301 after starting on their one yard line it was pretty memorable and that made me think we have to do the football thing we can't just do division three basketball all right we have to get a score on quick hits from last week Uh, we talk about uh, the best predictions we talk about the worst ones Um, uh, the worst ones there were some pretty bad ones but also a lot of ones in which uh, well anyway just about every upset prediction was pretty pointless including the adam tur dream sequence really but uh, we kind of took it easy on people in quick hits in uh, week one, and we didn't ask them too many answers that were black and white. Not black and white, Ritter. Right and wrong. Also notable, John Carroll did not have a long trip back from UW-Stevens Point, at least not metaphorically, uh, and people probably shouldn't be making predictions based on scrimmages. Well, the best predictions from quick hits. On the bright side, Kevin Neas, our guest, correctly said that no top 25 team would get upset, although because he said the WJ St. John Fisher game would be the closest, he would lose a proverbial half point. The show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. You know, I always think that's a cop out when you take the no team would get upset because obviously no top 25 team is supposed to get upset. Um, but I wouldn't I don't I don't mean that as a as a slight at our guest. I just mean that I forced myself to pick Frostburg and I was like super wrong. So I'm just making excuses for myself. Uh, everyone predict- correctly predicted that Alvernia would have to be better, would have the better debut than University of New England. Alvernia won, UNE lost, and there were five correct picks on teams having long trips home, including Husson, Laverne, and Denison. We go to Twitter for a question, and we get uh, one question from Nick, who is at is high on life. Uh, and I'm not sure if the question necessarily reflects that he's high on life or whatever, but he says, you believe that Brockport can reach the semifinals again this year? Hashtag D3FB. First off, thanks for the hashtag. Secondly, uh, you know, Keith is probably going to go play copy editor on this and say, of course, Brockport can reach the semifinals this year. (laughs) The real question is, will they, right? I think, honestly, this question comes down to something that we can't determine right now, and that's how the the bracket is formed after week 11. I think Brockport is going to be good enough to get that far. And I think they're probably, you know, it's hard. You don't want to put this burden on a team, but the chance of them running the table is certainly in play. Even if they don't, nine and one is in play. Probably a playoff team, uh, just based on what we're looking at from week one, what they have coming back from the semifinal team last season. But it really is going to come down to whether, what, what kind of, how the brackets get shaped, because. So, and we don't know this at this point, but say, you know, week 11, there are six or seven teams that look like they have a chance to make the stag bowl. Well, if you get put in a bracket with three of them, it's going to be a little bit of a tougher road. And, and remember last season, Mary Harden Baylor, St. Thomas, uh, all were right in that same part of the bracket where Brockport had to go through Wesley and Delaware Valley. So it wasn't they didn't coast by any means, but certainly the way the bracket shapes up affects how far a team can possibly get. Indeed. It's it's way too soon to know, but we can, I think, both agree that uh, Brockport has the talent and seems to be playing well enough 
to be a team that goes as far as it did last year. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on that game against Ithaca and the other 106 games going on on Friday and Saturday here in week two of the 2018 Division Three football season. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 201, released on September 7th, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the weekend. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. That will help other football fans find it. Write a nice post on Twitter and invite your friends or share it on your Facebook page or send an email to the guys you played football with because, you know, this is how podcasts grow. And we've been doing this for 11 plus years. We've done 201 of these. We enjoy doing it. We like having people listen. You can also leave comments on the blog page. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our guest, Dan Gritty, for his time on this edition of our show. And, of course, to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using that D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. And we have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? You can join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. You can follow d3football.com on Facebook. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Sorry, you stayed to the end of the podcast this week, and there's no cool bonus anything. Next week, though. I mean, I could go get that trombone. <laughs>